Question 50 asks, which is the first commandment? And so here the first commandment is simply stated. The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is Exodus 20 verse 3. Question 51 asks, what is required in the first commandment? Answer, the first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God, to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. For our scripture reading, we will go to Joshua 24 and read verses 1 through 15. Remember that Joshua led Israel after Moses did, and he would be the one to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, and the the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the sea. And when they cried to the Lord, He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness." Put away the gods of your fa- that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." There is good reason why the first of the Ten Commandments is stated first. The commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is stated first because it is of supreme importance. What good will it do if we succeed at keeping the other nine commandments somewhat, 
but fail to keep the first, which, as we will soon learn, requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. Will it do us any good, ultimately, to not bow to idols, to treat the name of God with respect, to observe the Sabbath day? Will it do us any good to honor father and mother, to not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, and not covet, if we do not first have God as our God and honor Him as such? So I suppose that some may answer that question with, with a yes. Uh, they might say, yes, it would be better for someone to obey God's moral law somewhat, even if they do not honor God as God. And I suppose there is a little bit of truth in that. It is better to be moral than amoral. A moral atheist is certainly better than an immoral one, worldly speaking. But I'm asking the question in an ultimate sense, will it do us any good ultimately, or perhaps we could say really and truly and eternally, to keep the other nine commandments somewhat, if we do not first and foremost love God and live ultimately for His glory? The answer is no. Even if we somewhat obey these other commandments, even if we live a somewhat moral life, if we do not do all of this to the glory of God and with love in our hearts for Him, then all of, this, all of these works are, are empty and dead works ultimately. Do not forget, brothers and sisters, that the sum of the first four of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about that. How does the Old Testament and how did Jesus summarize the first four commandments? He did so with the word love. If we really want to keep these commandments, we cannot keep them externally only. We must keep them from the heart. Again, it will do us no good to put away idols. It will do us no good to to worship in an external way at the temple or in the church now under the new covenant. It will do us no good to treat God's name with external respect or to observe the Sabbath day in just a merely dead religious way. It will do us no good to do any of that if we do not have sincere love for God in our hearts. The first four commandments are summarized with the word love. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we wish to keep these commandments really and truly, we must begin and end with love for God. This is true not only of the first four, but of the last six as well. All of our efforts to keep God's law must be motivated by our love for Him. As Christ said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And the aim of our obedience ought to be the glory of God. As Paul said, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And so, it must be love that motivates us. Love for God. It must be His glory that we seek. If our obedience to God's law is not motivated by our love for Him, then our obedience is not from the heart. It is merely superficial. It is dead obedience. Dead religion. Religion of a bad kind. And if our obedience is not aimed at bringing honor to God, then it must be aimed at something else. There must be some other purpose for our obedience. And what do you think that purpose would be? It would most likely be our own honor, our own praise, our own benefit that we seek. Instead, we must seek the glory of God. We must be motivated by love for Him. This is the kind of obedience that the Lord seeks. And so we must begin here. 
If we wish to live a life that is right before God, we must start by honoring God as God and having no other gods before Him. You will notice that the first commandment is stated negatively. You shall not, it says. It's stated in a negative way. Here is what you shall not do. You shall not have any other gods before me. And so, it is good for us to ask what it requires positively, and our catechism does that consistently with all of the Ten Commandments. If a command is stated negatively, we ought to also ask what does it require positively, for the negative command implies the positive requirement. What does this command require? That is the question. We know what it forbids, and we will in fact come to talk about that in more depth next Sunday, Lord willing. But what does it require? The first commandment again requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. There are three requirements mentioned here in our catechism. One, the first commandment requires us to know God as the only true God and our God. Two, the first commandment requires us to acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God. And three, the first commandment requires us to worship and glorify God accordingly. And I'd like to consider each of these requirements one at a time briefly. One, the first commandment requires us to know God as the only true God and our God. When the first commandment forbids us, in a negative way, from having any other gods besides the one true God, it does also require us, in a positive way, to have God as our God. And to have God as our God, we must know Him. To have God as our God, we must know Him. What does it mean to know God? There are two things. First, to know God is to know the truth about Him. So do you know about God? Uh, friends, I, I trust that you know some things about God. Some of you might know a lot about God. But it is a good question to ask. Do you know the truth about Him? Do you know that He exists? Do you know what He is like? Do you know about His nature, His attributes, and His ways with men? If we are to have God as our God, then we must know about Him. And where must we go to find out the truth about God? Well, we know that He has revealed the truth about Himself in two places. He has revealed some things about Himself in nature, and He has revealed the truth about Himself much more thoroughly and clearly in Scripture. And so we must study these two books. We must study the book of nature and the book of Scripture if we wish to know the truth about God. These two books will always agree, for they are both from God. He reveals Himself through both. If ever they seem to contradict... The problem is not with the one book or the other, it's with the interpreter. And of these two books, the book of Scripture is certainly supreme. For through the Scriptures, God has revealed Himself with great clarity. And so, when I ask you, do you know God? Do you know the truth about Him, who He is, what He is like, and how He relates to man? Uh, you should feel compelled to know Him, and you should run to His revelation. His revelation in nature, it is there, and it is right for Christians to contemplate it. But He has revealed Himself much more clearly, much more thoroughly, through the Holy Scriptures. And so as God's people, we must seek to know the Lord. We must seek to understand the truth concerning who He is, what He is like, what His nature is, and how it is that He relates to man.
The first of the Ten Commandments requires us to have God as our God, and this means that we must know Him. Second, to know God is to be in a right relationship with Him. All men and women are in a relationship with God. Did you know that? All men and women are. He is their Creator, and, he, and they are His creatures. That's a relationship, isn't it? It's the relationship between creature and Creator. This is true even if they deny Him. And they are not only related to Him as creatures, they are also related to Him covenantally. For all men and women are born under that broken covenant of works that was made with Adam. And all do also live under the covenant of creation that was made in the days of Noah after the flood. All who live are in a relationship with God. That is a fact. Even if they deny His existence, it does not change the fact that they are in a relationship with God. They are His creatures. He is their Creator. They live under that broken covenant of works that was made with Adam. They live under the terms of that covenant that was made with all of creation in the days of Noah. The question is not whether or not someone is in relationship to God. It is what kind of relationship is it? That's the question. And the answer is this. If they are not in Christ, the relationship is not a good one. By nature, and because of sin, we are called children of wrath. That is Paul's language. So there is a relationship. All human beings are children of God in some sense. Are you a children? Are you a child of God saved by His grace in a right relationship with Him? Or are you a child of wrath, that is a child who is deserving of God's judgment, who stands under His condemnation? This is what we all are by nature. By grace we are made to be God's beloved children in Christ Jesus. So... What kind of relationship is it? That is the question. By nature, not a good one. But through faith in Christ, we might be reconciled to the Father and be adopted as His beloved children. So when I say that we must know God, I am saying that we must know Him in a right way. We must be brought into a right relationship with Him where He is our Lord, where He is our God, and we are His children. And we know this is possible only through faith in the Messiah. Clearly, a Savior is needed. If rebel sinners are to know God as their God, if they are to be in a right relationship with Him, they need someone to deal with the problem of sin. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. He lived, died, and rose again to redeem us from bondage to sin and to reconcile us to the Father. The redemption and reconciliation that Israel experienced in the days of Moses was an earthly picture, a foreshadowing of the greater act of redemption and reconciliation that Jesus Christ, the Promised One, would accomplish. Through faith in Jesus the Messiah, we are really and truly reconciled to God so that we might know Him, that is to say, be in a right relationship with Him. Those who have faith in Christ do not know God as judge, as all men do by nature, but they know Him instead as Father. And so you can see, that all of this was prefigured in the days of Moses and with Israel. God redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage in an earthly way. He entered into an earthly covenant with them. And when He gave them His law, He reminded them of that relationship. I'm your Creator, I'm your Redeemer in this earthly sense, therefore you're bound to keep all of my commandments. And what was the very first commandment that God gave to Israel except this, you shall have no other gods before me. For us in Christ the same is true but in a better and deeper way. For we have been redeemed from bondage to darkness, sin, Satan, the fear of death, and we have been redeemed into an 
eternal kingdom. So then the first commandment requires us to know God. Two, the first commandment also requires us to acknowledge God to be the only true God. What is the difference between knowing God and acknowledging Him? Well, I suppose it would be possible to know God privately in the mind and the heart, but not publicly. But this is not the way we are to walk before our God. If God is truly our God, we will openly acknowledge Him as such. We will honor Him as God by acknowledging Him in all our ways. See Proverbs 3.6. We will honor Him by fearing Him in our walk. See Genesis 42.18. We will honor Him by trusting in Him. See Psalm 25.2. We will honor Him by submitting our lives to Him. See James 4.7. Those who have the Lord as their God will not be private about it. Instead, they will acknowledge the Lord as God in their thoughts, in their words, and in their deeds. With their whole life, they will say, I am the Lord's. See Isaiah 44, 5. They will declare, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is what we heard in Joshua 24, 15. What a marvelous declaration. Here is Joshua as the leader of God's people under the Old Covenant. He led them into the Promised Land. He reminds them about everything that the Lord had done for them from the days of Abram onward. And he exhorts the people of Israel to honor the Lord, to worship and to serve Him as their God. And he says, listen, choose for yourself whom you're going to serve. As for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua knew the Lord. He knew the facts about Him. Joshua had a right relationship with the Lord because he trusted in the promises that were given to Abraham and to Israel after him. But Joshua also acknowledged the Lord openly. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He did not keep this faith private, but acknowledged God. Those who truly have the Lord as their God will make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, as Timothy did, 1 Timothy 6.12. They will confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, while believing in the heart that God raised Him from the dead, Romans 10.9. And do not forget the warning of Jesus. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So to know God truly and to have Him as our God is going to involve acknowledging Him. And I would imagine that many Christians have lived in this world being tempted to be very much private about their faith. Perhaps you have experienced the same sort of temptation. The world thinks that our faith in Christ is foolish. The world might laugh and scoff at you if you claim to believe in Jesus and to be a follower of Him. And so there will be that temptation always to remain private with your faith, to remain private with your knowledge of God. And yet the Scriptures compel us to confess that Jesus is Lord and to openly acknowledge Him as such. I think that is a message that we all need to be reminded of, perhaps our young people especially need to be exhorted to not only believe in Christ inwardly, but to acknowledge Him to be their Lord and their Savior. The commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is negative. It forbids us from having any other God besides the one true God. We will talk about that more next week, Lord willing. But considered positively, and considered in the light of what the rest of the Scriptures say about this subject, It requires us to have God as our God, 
And to have God as our God, we must know Him and acknowledge Him to be our Lord and our God. Thirdly, and lastly, the first commandment requires us to worship and glorify God accordingly. Those who know God and acknowledge Him to be their God will worship Him and live for His glory. To worship is to bow down. And that is what the word means. To worship is to bow down. One may worship by bowing down physically. And as I prepared this sermon, I thought to myself, you know, I think it is important for us to bow in prayer. Even if our heads bow just a little bit, you know. I think it's important for us to bow our heads in prayer. Not only so that we might not be distracted by others. I think I've heard that given as the reason for it before. Uh, Let's bow, let us close our eyes so that we're not distracted by others. But in the act of bowing the head, are we not acknowledging that we are coming before the Almighty One? And so we bow before Him in reverence, you see. To worship is to bow down. And as I've said, one may worship by bowing down physically. But certainly we must bow down before the Lord in the mind and the heart. To worship is to acknowledge that God is worthy of our obedience and praise. To worship is to give oneself up to the will of God. To surrender to Him and to serve Him, 2 Chronicles 30 verse 8. We worship God individually as we bow before Him in private prayer. As we contemplate His word and His works. As we surrender our lives to Him as His humble servants. We worship in private families as we pray, as we read scripture and even sing. And we worship in public as we assemble with God's people on the Lord's day to hear the Word of God read and preached, as we pray in Jesus' name, as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and as we break the bread in obedience to Christ's commandment. The Old Covenant people of God had ordinances for worship, and the New Covenant people of God have ordinances too. Those who have the one true God as their God will know Him, acknowledge Him, and they will also worship Him according to His command. To glorify God is to honor and exalt Him. We exalt God when we worship Him in the way that He has prescribed. We exalt God as we obey Him. And we exalt God as we trust Him and live lives of thankfulness and contentment before Him and as we testify concerning His goodness to us in Christ Jesus. How do we glorify God? We, we can't add any glory to Him. He is infinitely glorious. But we glorify Him as we reflect His glory to others. We glorify Him as we exalt Him in the ways that I have just described. And I especially do not want you to forget the point that we do glorify God. We exalt Him as we live lives of thankfulness and contentment before Him. This is not only about public and private worship. This is not only about Obedience, though we do certainly glorify God in these ways, I think there is something about having a thankful heart, having joy in our hearts before God and before others, contentment in Him. I think God is very much glorified in these things as we, as we find our rest and joy and satisfaction in Him and in the things of Him. We glorify God as we worship and serve Him with all that we are and as we urge others to do the same. See 1 Corinthians 6. Brothers and sisters, the first of the Ten Commandments does not merely forbid having other gods besides the Lord. No, when all is considered, and when I say all, I mean the whole of Scripture, 
When all is considered, we see that it requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. But let me ask you this question. Have you kept this law perfectly? And you do not have to say the answer out loud. You're accustomed to doing so. But there should be a phrase in your mind even now. All must confess, no, we have violated this law in thought, word, and deed. All must confess this, except one, that is Christ Jesus our Lord, who kept God's law perfectly on our behalf and died in our place so that we might be reconciled to the Father, so that we might serve Him faithfully all the days of our life. And may all who hear this teaching be found trusting in Him for the forgiveness of sins and for life everlasting. Amen?